This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Josh Heisman and New Hope Community Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. For more information, visit newhopechurchtn.org. I have the privilege of sharing about the wisdom of rest. And uh, I was a little bit concerned as uh, when Jesus shared uh, with his disciples, he knew there was a rhythm to life. And so I decided that uh, I would put a poster up here that would be on this screen. And this is the first time I've gotten to use this screen. Jesus has been uh, in the midst of his own hometown. Uh, He's been rebuked, basically not accepted. His cousin, John, John the Baptist has been murdered. And he looks at his disciples, and it was a practice that he had that he knew that it was time to get away. And so, Mark 6.31, Jesus encourages his disciples, come with me to a quiet place and rest for a while. You notice you've got to take coffee. And I was a little bit concerned today, because when I came to church, I realized that pastors Josh and Mark... And Miss Deborah don't drink coffee. And I thought, how are they ever going to have any quiet time without coffee? <laughs> and I was real concerned, and I started to ask Pete this morning. I wanted to make sure about Pete. Whew, Pete, is, Pete drinks coffee once in a while. So anyway, Liza and Lauren. And so Jesus knew that in the rhythm of life, and in the wisdom of life, is that life saps the energy out of us. Life drains us to a point that we wonder sometimes whether we'll be able to make it. And so there's a story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where Jesus is headed to see someone, to heal some other people. And on the way, it's recorded, it says that a woman who had been bleeding or had a hemorrhage for 12 years came upon Jesus, and she thought in her mind, she said, if I can just touch even his clothes, the hem of his garment, I can be healed. Interesting in the story, it says that she had spent all of her money, all of her resources, trying to get well. It's a wonder she hadn't already died. And we wonder sometimes if Luke, being a physician, kind of knew the story and had talked to her earlier in her life and knew the point that she'd spent all that she had and was virtually hopeless in regard to her condition. And so as the story unfolds, Jesus is walking and there's a huge crowd gathered around him. He's the pop star of the day. People are just clamoring about him. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops and he says, Who touched me? And his disciples were almost a little bit indignant. Jesus, you've got all these people around you. But you don't really want to say too much to the Son of God in a negative way. But they said, Jesus, it's a, I mean, all these people, they're, they're touching you. And Jesus says these words. 
I sensed a touch. Now there's two or three things there is that all the people pressed about and only one touched Jesus that day. But Jesus felt the energy go out of his body and his spirit as he would touch her and heal her. And so in life, we need to understand we only have a certain amount of energy. And we have to replenish that energy. And I want to talk about my young days, a little bit older than our young people over here. But we need to understand that one day we're going to totally rest and all of our energy is going to depart. We don't recognize it, but we're all on a bus, all headed to a destination that one day it's going to go over the cliff in life and there will be no more life and we're all going to rest. Jesus is teaching us as we think about our lives today, we are addicted. Mark did a great job last week. Addicted to the gadgets. Oh, I, don't, I left my phone, actually left my phone over there. Yes. But we are consumed in our lives with trying to find meaning, purpose, and answers to the things that are going on. First of all, the wisdom is that the world is the way it is and it's not going to get any better. The sooner you realize that you are in a world that is dying, collapsing, that there's going to be mass shootings, there's going to be craziness, the sooner you'll understand that you are a part of a life and you will deal with life in a way that either you will go with the flow of life or you will resist everything that comes into your life. Solomon, 3,000 years ago, he wrote a Proverbs, but Ecclesiastes, Solomon basically said, I am as rich as you can be. I'm the king of Israel and I'm going to see what life is about. So I'm going to research everything. I'm going to uh, look at science I'm going to just do everything I can to fulfill me. He would proclaim in the King James, it says, is that life vanity of vanity. The NIV says, meaningless, meaningless. And many people look at that and they say, well, he was uh, depressed. He was, uh, it's a bad message. But his message was one that basically was without God, without an interior action within your soul and your spirit, and that everything that you try to fill your life apart from God is going to leave you empty. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, here's what Solomon says. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Uh, do you think that might be a description of our society today? I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was reward for all my toil. He said, works good. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Here's what he was saying, and I realized this in my life a few years ago, and I'll get more on that subject, is, is that we are 
filled with all the things that we think will satisfy, but we are starving in our soul and our spirit for meaning and relationship with God and with others. In Psalm chapter 23, Psalms 22 and 23 are forerunners of Christ. And the psalmist writes, Jesus as the good shepherd. Now I've got to get used to this because I used to be able to look here and see what was up here. I love these screens though. (laughs) Can't miss it. I'm looking, I said, it's nothing. When you get old, you lose it. Just know that. That's part of wisdom too. You just don't get everything right. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Here's what Jesus said. Sheep are not... God God didn't call us sheep because we were smart. Sheep are a lot like horses. Sheep will eat themselves and eat too much. You may not know this. A mule is is by far smarter than a horse. A mule you cannot work to death, but a horse will run themselves to death or they will overeat themselves, and you have to watch them. And so here's what Jesus is telling the sheep, and here's what he said to us. I will make you lie down in green pastures. If you're not willing to do it, you're going to have something happen to you. That's when sickness usually attacks our body and different things. When we get so busy is that you will lie down one day. Jesus says, come with me. He says to us, come with me. I know you're busy. I know you have a mortgage. I know you have email, not only email. Man, I thought email was bad a few years ago. Thousands of them. But now you've got social media where you just can't do it. And you know, the 3,000 activities that your children have at school (laughs) and all the things that you're trying to fill your life, it's time to settle down. Because all that stuff absolutely sucks the life out of you. Now, I'm going to talk about when you're young. When you're young, now, unfortunately for our young people here, is that when you're in the teen years up to about, oh, probably 60, you need extra sleep. You've got to get your rest because you're growing and all that. But after you get about 20, 21, 22, you get all this energy. And so I'm going to tell a little story about me because it'll tell you how I got to where I am now by the story I tell you from the time I was 24 to the time I was 34. When I turned 24, Kathy and I were, uh, had just been married. We moved to Oklahoma. I would start a church with five couples. In that 10-year period... We would build two buildings, and I don't mean contractors build them. I mean we volunteered and built the buildings with people. I not only did that, I went to seminary, 85 hours of graduate work. And by the time I was done, because I had that degree, I was able to teach college part-time. We had two children. 
We lived in about 1,400 square feet of space. Kathy's two youngest sisters would come and live with us the last three years with us while we were there and would graduate out of the local high school. Now you can imagine in all this that I was a perfect husband during all this because I wasn't doing anything. And part of, as I've shared in the past, my daughter is still here and my wife is still here and my son is still here. They're still in church and somehow they put up with their father. Because for the first 10 years, guess what? I was on my mission. Charles McGowan said as his wife Alice just passed away, she said, I was rough. Being a pastor's wife, he said, it was not easy being a pastor's wife. And so here I am, and uh, to a little other side of the story, the five families that started church, after 10 years, they weren't there any longer. That's how good a pastoring I do. <laughs> so a friend of mine says, you know, before you give up on the ministry, before you decide to quit, you need to go to a church somewhere else and see if it won't work out. Now understand the statistics are this. Today, of the 10 people that graduated, men and women that graduated with me from Bible school or seminary, I'm one of the 10 that's still in a church active. That's the statistics. 50% of the people who start ministry used to go 10 years before they quit or got out of the ministry is that uh, now the statistic is within five years, 50% of all people who started ministering in churches are gone. That's why back here it was a very nice feature by the board and by all the people here because I said, we came, I've been here 30 years, so I came to the perfect church. They had an imperfect pastor, but a perfect church. And so back there in the back, there's things to say, thank you for little things that you do and appreciate. This is October is Pastor's Appreciation Month or Church Worker Month, whatever it may be. And so anyway, things started out here. It started out with a church that had been going for a few years and the hand-picked board had voted out the pastor that was here. Now, I'm not real smart. But I judged it right and I came. And you know, when you're young and you're vibrant, you want to take on the world. And it, it just change your position, men, women, wherever you're at. Is that at certain ages, you have this drive. You have this goal. And, it, and the scary thing in our culture today is a lot of people don't appear to have any drive or don't care anymore. That's this little side comment. But most of us in my generation, you went out and you worked, you succeeded, and you did something... That, to be successful. So we got here, and I'll never forget Ken's here this morning. We started growing. There's some of you here will remember this because you've been here all these years through the former pastor and myself. And so on a Sunday during the Gulf War, we had gotten to where we had it down in that first building down there, daycare and everything, and the old carpet. We got to about 240 or 50 people a Sunday. And uh, did something. We let the, we had one of the staff members we had to let go. And you get wisdom when you make mistakes. And the one thing we probably should have done is let him do it publicly at the end of the service that they were resigning. Because the next Sunday, Barbara Mandrell would come and sing for the first time after being at Camp David with, Dr. with the first president. 
and we had 170. I'm real good on statistics. I can add and subtract. I subtract much better than I can add. And so you can imagine the upheaval. And guess what? I'm part of the problem most of the time. And most of the time in life. And so we moved along, rocked along, and we got into a situation where over the next few years we regained strength. Energy's being sapped out. And we build this beautiful building 20 years ago. But I want to tell you, I am mesmerized. Man, I could just sit here and look at that all night. Because 20 years ago, there wasn't anything like this. I wasn't smart enough to know how to do it anyway. And so at 9-11, a little history, 9-11, 9-11's really good for church growth. We probably had 700 people here the Sunday after 9-11. There was chairs, people standing outside, everything else. And you know, as a pastor, let me tell you what the other problem is. Our ego gets in the way. <sighs> Come take a look how big we are. How things are going. Aren't you impressed? But within about two or three years, we'd go through another struggle. And we would go from 500 on Sunday morning down to 300 to 200 to different things. I said, I'm good at subtraction. And I'm saying all these things so I can set you up about where I am in life and about the wisdom of learning how to rest. I realized I had to let go. Be still and know, Mike, if you can put that up there. Be still and know that I am God. You know, there's a time that comes in your life when you uh, get to be 51, 52 years of age and you've got all this external stuff going on and you're doing all this work and all this activity and all of a sudden you recognize, you know, God, I hope Jesus knows who I am because I'm doing his work so well on my own, I really don't even need him because I've got this all down, I understand all this stuff. And don't, now don't get me wrong here. God has always been very real to me and touched my heart in my life. But I said, be still and know that I'm God. But the, the original Hebrew in this verse here does not mean to get quiet. It means to let go and also the word release and weakness. And it means to cease striving. Let go and cease all your effort. Whatever it may be. And so, I began this journey. I decided that it was time as we began this that I needed to let go of my position, my identity, let go of my security, and trust God. And I began, and understand this concept here, I began dying long before I'm actually going to die. What that means is this. Is one day you're going to let go of everything. All the people who have offended you. All the people who have done whatever to you. And you're going to let go of them one way or another. Because when you die, everything that you're worried about is gone. With me? And part of learning how to die before you die is to say... What is really important? I hope Pastor Josh is not too scared here. 
He said, are you going to preach long today? I hope not. Uh, now, he didn't say that. I said, I hope not. <laughs> see if I can see that clock back there. It's still there. And the question comes, when is enough enough? Let's see if I can do this. I don't want to drop them. Uh-oh. Here we start out in life. We're on our journey. We have a house that we like. And we say, if I ever get to a place that I could live in this kind of house or make this much money, I'll be happy. If I just had this job, I'd be happy. Remember, life is always departing us. Our energy is always leaving us. And so, anyway, we begin to handle things. And so... You say, how many things can I handle? How many people can I help? How many people can I impress? And before long, now some people I know, we've got, you know, we can have billionaires and everything else, and they don't hoard money. They don't have a problem that they're just a little bit, you know, the good old American way, make as much as you want and don't worry about giving it to anybody else, the poor or anything else. And we, we glorify them and say, man, look what they've done. But when is enough enough? Where are you at in your life? Because when you get more things than you can hold, let's see, can you do it in a second? No, let's see here. Can we do this? Fake eggs. I did that for Pastor Josh. Worried about this. <laughs> Is that sooner or later, your life will be out of control. You're on a merry-go-round. And you have to make a decision. When is enough? Enough. Let's see if I can get these fake eggs back. That's the trouble of life. Everything's fake anymore. <laughs> and so, here I am in my life a few years ago. And I begin to understand something about life. Nobody is impressed with what I've done. <laughs> Nobody's impressed with your degree. They might be for a second, but they don't give a rip about you. And the older crowd, you understand what I'm talking about? You spend your life trying to make people happy. I always like the young people over here. They, they love this part. Next time you get ready for a prom, now let me ask you, you've had homecoming. Did any of you get worried about what your hair looked like? No. No. No, I know that. I worry what I look like. That's why I've got the coat on this morning to cover up my stomach. And so... It, and the greatest example is, there's, my old adage, you'll hear this, at 20 years old, you're worried about what everybody thinks. At 40 years old, you don't care what anybody thinks. And at 60 years old, you find out nobody cared anyway. 
So young person, when you're running around and you're in tears about your hair not looking good and wondering what everybody else is going to think about it, don't worry about it because they're running around all the time worried about themselves. They're not even looking at you. They're worried about them. And that's life. And so I came to realize the next part of be still and know. And so I go in my office 10 years ago after all this. And I'd already started slowing up because Pastor Josh was here and was doing a wonderful job. And so I quit preaching as much. Maybe 35 Sundays a year, Pastor Josh would preach and others would preach because I needed to rest. I needed to slow up. I needed to re-energize and find my bearings with God. And so I went into my office one day and I said, God, you've heard me talk for a long time. About time for me to listen to what you have to say. And so I started this verse of be still and know that I'm God. And I realized that how much is enough? All I can do is be. Be still and know that I'm God. Some of you have seen this before. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still and be. And so I will actually do this. I would sit down. Not necessarily with my coffee. I know that you're busy. I know that you have deadlines. I know you've got to preach on Sunday. I know you've got to worry about this person here. I know you've got to worry about all this. Thing. But I want you just to be still for a moment. Because you're dying with all your activity. And all your ability trying to impress people that don't even care. Well, some people care. They didn't care about me. No. And I said, be still and know that I'm God. And it's a routine of learning how to focus, to calm your thoughts, to calm your life. And so I would begin, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Do you recognize you can only be? You're not a human doing. You're a human being. All you can do is be. God made us. He is the I am, but we're bees. We're bees. And here's the good news, is that He loves us, cares about us. And so, I began that process, it kind of speeded up. You know, Pastor Josh, I have to thank God for Pastor Josh, because he's the first youth minister or person who came on staff that I didn't worry was trying to take my job. (laughs) There's nothing like that happens in churches. Never happens. Well, I could do that job. Just give me a chance to do it. I always love that when people say, well, if we do this as a church, it would grow. And I say, I'll give that about five days and half the people will be gone. I do understand that. But Pastor Josh was here. But I knew my energy was going. I've had two or three friends die of heart attacks. Dave Foster, who 58 years of age. I've had other friends who... Oh, talk about affairs. And Let me tell you, when your life is out of order, craziness begins to happen. Oh, I still got a minute. <laughs> Steve and Patty, the guy who killed all the people, all of them are looking for all the reasons. There's no doubt he's a nutcase. But let me give you my little insight into him. Remember when your external world is crazy, your internal world is going to be crazy. Did anybody see what he did in a deposition a few years ago? What he said he was? A professional gambler. 
and that he did video poker 12 hours. He stayed up all night. He claimed to do it year-round, never stopping. 12 hours a night, video poker, betting a million dollars some nights. He had hands that would start from 150 up to, I think, 12 or $1,500 per hand. And they said to do the video poker, his hands would go just like this. And he played it. Friends and neighbors, when your life is... I, I can't... They said he, had, you know, he couldn't sleep at night. They had to take whatever he took. Let me tell you, just one night. How much? Just one night. Of course, I'd lose, lost a million dollars. It had been over in a, in a hurry. But the part was, is that his life was completely, completely out of balance, psychotic, whatever. You cannot do that without dying on the inside. That's not, you know, there's all sorts of reasons, but, but let me tell you, it's simple to me. He's crazy. He lost touch. He's evil and all that sort of thing. And so here's the process as we kind of wind this down today. So four years, a little over four and a half years ago, five years ago, I decided that uh, it was a little risky. I decided it was time for me to uh, let go. I've seen too many pastors in their 60s still trying to do it. Let me tell you. Now, whatever you say about Trump, I don't, I, I'm not going to just, I will tell you this. I've never seen a 70-year-old man can do as much as he can do. That might be why he's crazy too sometimes. <laughs> but the point is, there's a certain amount of energy that we can give to something. And I recognized, and it's only been in the last four or five, that I knew my energy because helping people doing things, the life has departed from me. And one day I'm going to rest. I had a friend that I was watching and he was talking about he'd been a caregiver all these years and all of a sudden he'd gotten sick and people had to care for him. And he realized, you know, all these years, he says, I've only got so much energy. And I recognize that in the church, if we wanted to grow and, and hopefully I could be a part of it, is that we would have to introduce younger leadership and Pastor Josh and those sorts of things because I knew my gray hair that the church would become more like me. I hope that in a positive way, more like me. And if we were going to grow and new hope would continue in a very positive vein, that we would have to make a transition. Now, my wife will tell you, and I'm going to be very honest here, she says, I wish you had told me about it before you did it. But anyway, do I have a good wife? I'm telling you, she's an unbelievable wife. I'm blessed that they'll even come and sit and listen. The things I pulled. And that's why the church subtraction is I pulled some pretty crazy things at times. But I sat there and I said, you know, I've got to let go of my identity. Let go of, you know, I'm no longer the, you know, I have, I'm virtually, I became an employee of New Hope. Now I had a pretty good idea I could probably trust Pastor Josh by putting him in that position and do that. But I don't know that anybody understands and I didn't even understand. When you say, I'm going to turn it all loose and I'm going to let it go. And that transition happened because I realized that I needed to let go and let God and just let Him be God in my life. And so this transition time, I can't believe it's been almost five years since we started. Four years 
ago is when we started with Pastor Josh officially becoming, was it four years? Officially, it's long enough. See, in old minds, we forget stuff. It could be 30 years, you know. <laughs> but start this transition. And I have to tell you, it was not easy in the beginning. When you walk away, it was easy this way. Charles McGowan looked at Kathy and said, you know what? He was two months before we made the transition and officially voted Pastor Josh in and made a transition. And I walked away and said, you know, you probably, this probably is going to add five years to Paul's life. And I thought at the time, arrogant me, who rolls with the punches, knock me back, I'll get back up. And now I've come to realize after three or four years that he may have added 20 years to my life if possible. Because I decided you'd heard enough sermons out of me. I decided it wasn't that important to have to be in the center of the spotlight. I realized all those things and it hasn't necessarily been easy. But I had to learn to let go. And some of you here in this place probably today need to decide some things about even your life about is there anything you need to let go of? And so we're going to offer communion here in a moment. I'm thankful about wisdom. I think I have a little bit. Part of the wisdom is that uh, I always thought about this about life. What do I know now? Why did I know that 25 years ago? It saved me a lot of problems. But I want to put this last slide up. This is what I've learned about God. When the world is falling apart around you, understand you have no power to hold it together. The only power you have is letting go and releasing the chaos and the struggle and the suffering of your life into the loving arms of Christ to carry you through it. When the world is falling apart, you know, friends and neighbors, the world is going to fall apart. We're on that bus that's going to go over a cliff someday. There's going to be heartache, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be pain, there's going to be questions. There's going to be grief. There's going to be things that you're going to struggle with. But let me tell you, I've learned this to the best of my ability. When something I start to struggle with, when something that I want to make a change on that is impossible, I simply begin to flow with life because I create suffering. The more I try to change my situation in my own power, in my own control, and I only find peace when I rest in God. One last point. You'll never be any happier than you are today. However you look at life today, you're not going to find happiness out here two years from now or five years from now. That's a dream. God says He wants you to be content now with your life. So how much is enough? For some of you, just to be you, to be a mom, to be a dad, 
God didn't call us all to be the center of attention and be the most popular. God wants you to know He just wants you to be all that He's called you to be and depend upon Him and give Him everything. Thank you for listening. For more information and additional resources, visit our website at newhopechurchtn.org. Also check us out on Facebook, iTunes, Instagram, and Twitter.